Welcome to the Details of Life, where you will hear from some of the most interesting and best minds in sports. I am your host, Marcus Wilson, and thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for coming back once again. I sincerely appreciate it, and I myself am happy to be back. Episode two of season two. It's been another interesting week in sports, so let's talk about it. Starting off with women's basketball. Hey, you might not think I'm starting off talking about that, but women's basketball needs some love too. I just did my first women's basketball game of the season. I was at Illinois State where Illinois State Redbirds knocked off the St. Xavier Cougars 98 to 53. You know, another thing I wanted to talk about on this is there were no fans in the stadium. And so most of us don't get the opportunity to be at a college game this year. So to be there with no fans, it really was surreal you know no one was cheering the only thing you heard was the bench it sounded like practice I really started to think about is there really a home court advantage this year you know normally the home court advantage is the crowd Cameron crazy's going crazy and it influences the ref someone knocks down a three or gets a dunk and everybody starts yelling and getting excited and it gives the team energy there is none of that this year the only advantage that there is when you travel on the road some, some people just don't play well. You got to think about the depth perception or the new rims. You got to think about not sleeping in your own bed. Some of those things can come into play. But for the most part, the on-the-court action should not be affected as much. So don't look for home court advantage to be as much of a home court advantage this year. Moving on with women's sports, South Carolina had their 29-game win streak snapped by North Carolina State. Big news there because, as we've seen in the past, there usually is a team that's very dominant. South Carolina has been that for the last year. Before that, the NCAA tournament and the Final Four was basically should have been renamed the UConn Invitational. They were just inviting people there just to beat them almost every year. Every once in a while, you'd have someone coming in like Baylor or Notre Dame or like a South Carolina. But for the most part, UConn was dominating. So it is good to get some parity in women's basketball. I love women's basketball. It's fundamentals is better than men's, no doubt. Men just can dunk more and do some more athletic things. But watching the game just for the purity of the game, Love me some women's basketball. Moving on to college men's basketball. COVID continues to show its ugly head and eliminated the matchup that we all wanted to see this past weekend. Number one, Gonzaga versus number two, Baylor. Hopefully they can get that rescheduled. But it just kind of makes me think it's so crazy right now how teams are just calling each other up. You keep hearing these coaches say, oh, we're looking for a game. It's almost like I'm at home and I'm calling some people saying, hey, you want to meet up at the Y? You want to meet up at the rec center? Let's just pick up and see who wins. That's generally what's happening right now. And so as a coach, that's a little scary because you could get a call and say, we're playing three days from now, and you just got an immediate scout. They're not used to that. Coaches who can scout, they should show their worth this year for their staffs. Locally, SLU looks really good. We talked about that last week. But another thing, everyone was crowning SLU as the best team in the state of Missouri, the show me state. SLU's got the best team. They, they knocked off LSU. They're looking athletic. Mizzou said, not so fast, my friend. Knocked off a ranked Oregon team and then went on the road and knocked off Wichita State. Really happy for Conzo Martin and his staff. They're a high-integrity group of guys, and they've been building up for this moment for, uh, for a while now. A lot of expectations this year. Looks like they're going to get there. It would be really great to see the two teams play, although we know that's not going to happen. But the second best thing would be to see SLU win the A-10, Mizzou win the SEC, and Mizzou have two champions in the state of Missouri. Rooting for both of them to do that. Mizzou winning the SEC, you say, how are they going to do that with Kentucky in there? Kentucky looks down this year, not saying that Calipari can't turn it around, but they're off to their worst start since 2001 and three. They just lost to Georgia Tech, and I know that the Wildcat fans are going crazy over there. They're not used to losing. 
I believe that uh, Calipari will pull it together, but that's to be determined. I've been talking to a lot of people about watching college basketball, and I think the unanimous consensus is everyone's saying, oh, the Blue Bloods look down. Duke doesn't look as dominant. Kentucky is not as good. I tell you what, college basketball in general is different. I'm not going to say it's down. It's different. You got a lot of big, tall, athletic guys, guys who can dribble and create, not a lot of guys who can shoot. That's pretty obvious. And no, no offense to anyone out there, but you can tell that these kids have been getting these personal trainers since eighth grade, and they've been hyping these parents up saying, oh, I'm a great trainer. I'm a great trainer. Look at all these dribble, dri dribble moves you can do. Going around cones and can go between your legs and behind your back with two balls. You still got to put the ball in the basket, guys. And it's not happening this year. I'm seeing bricks, air balls. I don't know how you get to be the div Division One level and get wide open shots and shooting air balls. I'm seeing it way more often right now. But they can dribble. So when they start counting points for dribbling, I guess we'll start seeing an increase of points in the game. But until then, guys, you need to start getting some shooting coaches. Self-plug right here. I was a pretty good shooter in my day. I trained guys in shooting. So any guys in the local St. Louis area or anybody that wants to travel here, Check my resume. I think I can help you put the ball in the basket. Moving on to boxing. Errol Spence came back from his car accident, and people were wondering, would he return to full form? Yes, he did. He put a punishment on, on Danny Garcia. And at this point, now what we want to see is Errol Spence versus Crawford. We all know that. I mean, any, everyone wants to see Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence. If boxing doesn't put that together for us, that's their fault. They, in the past, they haven't done that. And they've delayed years, which is why the UFC has taken over as the primary combat sport, because it's fair. The judges don't cheat as often, and they allow the best people to fight each other. Back in the day, you had Roberto Duran, Hagler, Sugar Ray Leonard, all these guys fighting each other. Tommy Hitman Hearns, the best fought the best, and it was just free. I don't mind pay, uh, paying pay-per-view right now, but at least give me the best. Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford, they're the best. Make it happen, guys. The next big fight in boxing may be Floyd May Mayweather and Logan Paul. I saw that they came out with that. And I'm thinking this has to be a joke. No, it's not a joke. Both these guys are about their money. So I don't know what's going to happen. It's an exhibition. So even if Floyd loses, it won't count against his record. I heard a theory out there that Floyd's going to come, take a dive. They're going to make a big deal out of it. They're going to do a rematch, and then it's going to count, and Floyd's going to come back and really punish him. But he's going to get paid twice for this. Floyd is about his money, so I wouldn't put it past him. However, I would like for him to go out there and redeem some of us who thought that Nate Robinson stood a chance and have him go out there and punish Logan Paul. He's thinking that he's a real combat fighter right now. Floyd, go ahead and put that boy in his place. College football. The story of the week for me was Coastal Carolina – playing BYU. Like we said in basketball, games are getting canceled because of COVID. What do you know? Coaches call each other up and say, hey, you want to run? These two teams did that, and both of these teams needed to do that because they were trying to move up in the college football rankings. Both of them have played in smaller conferences, so they needed that strength of schedule, and they called each other up, made it happen, and boy, was it a barn burner. Two teams that really had a lot on the line, fights broke out. At the end of the game, it reminded me of Super Bowl 34. There was a tackle at the one-yard line that was so similar. It was like 21 years in the past to now, same thing happened. Let's take a look, and you tell me if you can't see how similar these plays were. Probably the final play of the game in regulation. 
It is caught by oh. Dyson. Can he get in? No, he cannot. Mike Jones made the tackle. But every defender's heels on the goal line. And you be ready to knock it down. Last chance for the Cougars. Mill the catch. Wrestled down on the two. Coastal wins it. Man, that was really, really weird, right? But the game is a game of inches at times. And we saw how inches can be the difference between joy and despair. But shout out to Coastal Carolina for making that happen. Hopefully, they move up in the rankings and get into a major bowl this year. Other than that, for me, and I'm from Indiana, you guys know that, the major story is IU football. Dream season, just knocked off Wisconsin. They're top 10. I mean, I love to see that. For Indiana to be known as the basketball state, here we are, have Notre Dame number two, Indiana in the top 10. <laughs> basketball and football is thriving. Actually, basketball is a little bit down this year in the state, but it's good to see both of those teams really kicking butt in sports. Lastly, on to football, the Cleveland Browns continue their miracle season, knocking off the Titans. I mean, they were blowing them out at one point. Score got a little bit closer at the end. But, man, if, you, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, take advantage of this moment. These type of seasons don't come along often. They moved on to 9-3. and three. The Chiefs moved on to 11-1, and one, looking like Super Bowl champions. Let's see if it happens. Big week for fantasy football for all of you guys. For most leagues that have quarterfinals, this week was the last week, and there's a game tonight on Tuesday. So things are still up in the air. It gets tricky on a game like tonight when you're, when you're relying on this last game on a Tuesday, Tuesday night football. I don't think I've ever heard of that in the NFL, but COVID has made some things shift. If you, get, if you got in the playoffs, congratulations. If you didn't, tough. Hopefully come back next year. Fantasy football has been tough this whole year just because of COVID. And there's a lot of just uncertainty with injuries, guys not playing well. When you add COVID to that, if you're not doing well this year, you can always blame it on that. That's my wrap-up of sports this week. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that. And now, we're going to move on into bringing on our guest for the day, Bradley coach Brian Wardell. Brian played basketball at Marquette from 1997 to 2001, and he was a bucket getter. After college, he played professionally a couple years, and then he got his start of his coaching career as an assistant at his alma mater, Marquette. Moved on to Green Bay, was there for 10 years, the first five as an assistant, the second five as a head coach, has some success. Moved on to Bradley, and at Bradley, he's just continued that success and making his name as one of the brightest young coaches in the industry. The last two years, he's taken the Bradley Braves to the conference championship, won it, and gotten automatic bids. Two years ago, he won and went to play a strong Michigan State team, played them very tough, represented the MVC well, lost a close one, and this past year, they won it and was ready to go to the tournament for back-to-back -back years, and what happened? COVID took the tournament away from us, and so they weren't able to go. But they still, that does not take away from the fact that they did win the MVC tournament two years in a row. They're looking to do it again. Coach Wardell is just a really good coach. This year, they're off to a 3-2 and two start with wins against Toledo, Oakland, and putting up 105 on Judson. They had a tough one-point loss at Xavier, but they played them really tough. And then most recently, they lost to South, South Dakota State. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go ahead and get started with Bradley Braves men's basketball coach. Brian Wardell. Like I just prefaced, ladies and gentlemen, today we have Bradley head coach Brian Wardell. How you doing, coach? Man, I'm good. I'm doing really well. How about you? I can't complain. Excited to have you on. 
and get started. I just want to roll into your time as a player. And some people may or may not know, but you were a bucket getter in college. Played at Marquette from 97 to 2001, finished as the third all-time leading scorer there, then played some professional ball afterwards in the developmental league and then and, and CBA as well. How has your ability and, and your time playing as a player at a high level been able to help you relate to your players as a D1 coach? Well, you know, I, 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 it seems to be a long time ago. I mean, when you say that, I start to laugh because it, it goes by quick. And every year I get older, the better player you become. If you've never realized that with former players, we all, we all thought, we all were sit back. As we get older, we always thought we were a little bit better, a little bit better leader, a little bit better player than we really were. So it was a while ago, but I still, I, I, I do think there's some things from playing that I can relate to the players and how maybe how they feel physically, mentally, especially freshmen. I understand what freshmen go through. I've been there. I understand the stress and the pressure of big games and, and, and maybe how the players are feeling about that. I understand the aspect as a player when you've got family calling you about tickets and handling this, handling that for home games sometimes. So, like, there's little things like that that I really try to help them with, how to balance your schedule in the day because I know how busy you can be from morning till night as a student athlete, especially as a basketball player. So in practicing, I think practice time how efficient to be on your feet. I really factor in the mental commitment as much as the physical commitment when it comes to our practice time. So I always include film sessions as part of my practice time, stretching as part of my practice time, where you might not, if you hadn't played, you might just think, oh, well, that's all extra. And then we go two and a half hours on our feet and then we do 30 minutes of film and stretching. But I try to be just very conscious of my players' physical and, and mental well-being and, and keeping them fresh, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that does. As you know, I played at University of Evansville, and mm-hmm. when I had Marty well, you, played, you played a little bit too, huh? Yeah, yeah, I played a little, a little bit. bit. I had Marty Simmons. numbers up. <laughs> <laughs> I try, yeah. When I had Marty Simmons as my coach, mm-hmm. it was good having someone who played at that level. Because mm-hmm. as a player, it gives you that sense of credibility. Obviously, you know your coaches are credible, but when you know someone's been tired after running five straight suicides and he says, I know what you're feeling, you know that he knows exactly what you're feeling. So I could understand yep. where players could relate to that. So when did you start realizing that you wanted to get into coaching? Now, probably high school when I was playing. My coaches would always tell me, you know, you might want to do this one day because the, the game did come pretty natural to me. It was something, you know, I think everybody has gifts and everybody's blessed with gifts and you just got to find them in a way. And, and mine was just visually learning, like whatever sport I played, I could pick things up very quickly. I could see it one time and be able to do it and apply it. And I would always try to help my teammates out. And, and I was always that talker to get people in the right spots at the right time. I tried to help execution. I, I, I was, I was a guy that I wasn't rah, rah, cheery, but I would always bring the group together, talk to them, try to, try to advise and, and, and guide and help my teammates out all the time. So I think my high school coaches always saw that and told me this is something that you should probably look into doing because you love it and you seem to pick things up quickly and understand it and, and, and can be able to verbalize that to your teammates. And same thing when I was in college working for Mike Dean, Tom Crane, and, and playing for them. I mean, I, I think a lot of the coaches that I had, I learned from and they kind of knew that's the route I wanted to go when my playing career was over, if I could. That, that's really cool. And you're still fairly young. 
as a head coach, only 40 years old right now. For college basketball, that's considered young. Who, who are some of the people that you lean on when you need advice in the college coaching world? Oh, well, I have a lot. I have a lot of people that I call and talk to. I have some old retired coaches that I worked with at Green, you know, at Green Bay, I worked with a guy named Dale Race, who's, who's a legendary D2 coach and a bunch of Hall of Fames and it just has tons of wisdom and experience and he's great. I've, I've, and, and there's other coaches like that. Mike Dean, who coached me at Marquette, Tom Crean, who coached me at Marquette, Todd Kowalczyk, who I learned under at Green Bay and took over for. There were assistants that I coached with when I was an assistant that I really talked to, too, about a lot of things. So I got friends I played AAU ball with that are now head coaches at Division One that I like to talk with. It, 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 learning never ends, in my opinion. And the one thing people know about me when you're around me every day and you get to know me is that I, I know I don't know it all. I know there's a lot I still need to learn. I know I have weaknesses, too. So I try to put a staff around me to that are much stronger in those areas than I am. And I think that's why, you know, the development of myself as a coach is, is important for my players to see because they know I need to get better. They need to get better. We all can continue to improve and get better. And that's what I'm just trying to do every day. Definitely. And, and speaking of getting better, when you got hired in 2010 at Green Bay, you were the youngest D1 coach at the time. And so you spent five years there from 2010 to 2015. Last five years here at Bradley, which has been successful with back-to-back MVC championships. But if there was one aspect that you feel like when you came in in 2010 till now, 10 years later, what is one area that you feel like you've evolved the most in over that time as a head coach? Oh, patience. I've become a much better teacher of the game. I think that's where patience comes in and like in workouts in the summer and fall, just having a little bit more patience with your guys to pick things up and understand that even at this level, even at 18, 19, 20, uh, they're going to need more reps. They're going to need more attention to detail. And I think that's where I've grown a lot on the court is, is just teaching. That first year, Bradley taught me a lot. We didn't win many games, but I, I swear that was one of my biggest years to develop as a coach with being calm and being patient, but still demanding and still demanding to do with the details, do it right. But that year, I think, helped me a lot because I came from Green Bay where we had a lot of experience my last two years. We were very good, a lot of talented players. But when I took over Bradley, we were the youngest team in America. We were 351 out of 351. And then year two, we were 349 out of 351. So we, we were very young for two years. And I just had to make sure that we stuck to the identity. We emphasized our identity. We, we, we stayed true to that every day. We stayed true to the accountability and, and what is important to our program. But we did it with some patience and we did it the right way. And, and, and those first two years here, I think really helped me grow, grow as a coach. Yeah. That patience that you talk about again, as a player, I remember coaches sometimes would, it almost feels like they were angry at you for making a mistake. Like you were doing it on purpose. And I feel like some coaches start getting that balance of this kid's trying, he's making mistakes, but he's trying versus just, Oh, you know, just really just ramming into a kid because he's yeah. making a mistake for the first or second time. And he's, you know, you may be teaching something brand new and anybody who's heard me call any games, I'm a big fan of your defense and your pack defense does not allow many gaps. You obviously got to teach the why. You got to show them why it's important for the team to win, why it's important for them and, and what it can do to make them better, but also the team better. And, and, and teaching the why, if you can't teach the why, you don't lose. I don't care how good your playing career was or and, and so forth, you, you lose credibility. So 
I'm big on teaching the why I'm, I'm, and, and letting them see through film too why yeah. this works. And in our gap defense, we're, we want to be up and aggressive in those gaps and, and, and get deflections and, and cause travels and cause turnovers. And, and I, I think our guys have bought into that because no matter what your offense is doing, our defense is outlasting our offense. And, and that's ultimately what we believe and, and, and continue to believe as a program. And, and, and we tweak every year. They always see I'm trying to grow and get it better. You know, I would say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, if it ain't broke, break it too. I mean, there's, you, you could be caught behind if you just sit in the same old, same old system and doing the same old, same old things. There's, there's some real strengths to having consistency and an identity I believe in, but little tiny tweaks here and there, I think with your personnel is very important to do every year. Definitely. And I, I, I noticed some of those tweaks you made, which takes me back to the 2018-19 season. You guys finished fifth in the regular season. At the end of the year, you guys got hot, really started clicking. You finished eight and two out of your last 10 games en route to winning the MVC uh, tournament championship and earning trip to the NCAA tournament, played the number two seed, Michigan State. At halftime, you were dominating those guys and ended up falling short. But what do you think clicked at the end of that season to where things just really started rolling and propelled you to that NCAA tournament appearance? You know, we just started, we had a little lull that year for about a month. We didn't play good basketball. We were a little unconfident. We didn't shoot the ball well during that month. Just kind of released the, open the reins a little bit for them. We had a little bit more fun off the court. People don't know that going in the Valley tournament, we didn't even practice. We played soccer in an indoor field and literally went from playing soccer onto the bus to St. Louis and did a little 40 minute shoot around and went and won the tournament. I think it's, you know, I understood my team probably better after January that we were probably, we weren't probably ready to win at a high level yet as a program year three. So let's relax a little bit. Let's enjoy each other. Let's enjoy the process and, and, and then go after. And that was year four. And, and, and we were able to do that, but we always had the talent. We just had to put it all together and, and, and get it rolling in the right direction. And, you know, basketball is a game of momentum. And when you have that momentum and belief and, and your players are confident and, and own the program and believe in what the program stands for, good things can happen. First of all, kudos to you because sometimes, you know, when you're losing or you're not able to get things clicking and I'm speaking from a player yeah. perspective, when you get to practice, you're expecting for it to be a tough practice. And every once in a while, maybe once a year, a coach, like you said, just rolls out a soccer ball or says, hey, we're going to go do this today you bond in a way outside yeah. of this basketball. And then when you get back on the court, oftentimes it makes it easier for you to teach, for guys to be more receptive. So that was a, that was a nice move on that one, Coach. No, I mean, it, it's funny. I, I tell people that story at clinics and stuff and coaches, and they're like, man, I don't know if I can do it. I go, you can do it. I go, you just got to do what's best for the program. That's the question I have to answer every day. Every day. What is best for the program? And those young men are the program. Yep. What is best for them down there? Not for me. It's not about me. It's about the program. And during that time, it, as much as coaches, you want to get on the floor and teach and, and grind and get better at the things that you're struggling with. You know, I brought some of my older players in. I said, it, we, we don't look like we're having fun right now. And is a, am I putting too much pressure on you? Or is, is it too intense every day? And they're like, yeah, coach. Like, we just need to relax and, and, and have some fun together. I said, all right. Then we played wiffle ball, dodgeball, soccer. I mean, you name it, we played it. I mean, and we just had fun. And that was kind of our routine. And we, we had more fun on the road. And 
went sightseeing on educational things for, I mean, we always do that anyway, but I don't know. It was just, Hey, let's just enjoy this run together and, and relax. And it's, it's amazing how your team came together and, and can play even at a higher level on the court. Yeah. I love it. And it, it worked for you. And then this season, you won the NBC tournament that year, 2019. Due to COVID, there were only a couple of tournaments, conference tournaments that were able to finish before everything was put on pause. I know uh, Mountain West had their championship, NBC had their championship. So you put it together again and won a conference championship this past year before we were able to, you would have been going to your second straight NCAA tournament. How do you feel that COVID, or do you feel that COVID has stopped some of your momentum that you would have been able to take from going to back-to-back tournaments with, with, with COVID halting things this spring? You know, it's a new, it's a whole new novel, whole new story this season. So I don't think it's halted anything. Everyone's got to go through it. It's fair game for everyone. And, and there's really no excuses if we, if we don't come out and perform. I mean, that's kind of like our part of our culture. We don't make excuses. We don't complain. And, and I'm big on that. I'll just go out and make the best of the day and do our job the best we can and, and, and be unselfish and, and play for each other, protect each other. It's, just, it's the same thing every day. They hear it. It's, and if you have that mentality, take it one day at a time. Don't look in the rearview mirror. Don't look into the future. Let's just take what we can do today and, and be thankful for, grateful for it, and go to work. I mean, do I want to wear a mask when I'm coaching? No. But I'm just grateful for the opportunity to wear a mask and coach today. And I think that's how we're going to – we've been approaching this as a program the COVID, I think, teaches you a lot about these virtual meetings, which you can probably use more in some way. It's a lot easier than you think it is. Maybe before, positives with your family. There's negatives to it, obviously. But, you know, we're just going to sit and focus on the positives and try to just be better because of it and, and, and see where we can go with it. So what you got to do is just try to get better each day, coach. And you're exactly right. So are there any guys that were sitting out that you, you know, that we could see, expect to see breakout seasons from, or people who you expect to make big leaps that may catch us off guard? Well, you know, you, you pray for healthiness for all the teams, for everybody. You don't ever, I never want to see any student athlete or, or player in, in general. I know how much time and effort they put into the off season to stay healthy. We got to stay healthy. Last year we were really, yeah. there was a lot of sickness going around with our team, but a lot of injuries too. So if we can stay healthy, I, I think this group's very talented. We got really good pieces. Now how we put these, the puzzle together is my job and my staff's job. And, but I think if we can put the pieces together and everybody understands their role and, 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 and buys into it and, and, and embraces it, you know, I think really good things can happen for us. But obviously keeping Elijah healthy would be nice because yeah. Elijah Childs is a, is a, is a difference maker and, and a heck of a player. And just an energy guy. You, you love those energy guys on the floor for you. And we had guys sitting out. I think, you know, what's exciting, you got Daniel Kingsby back. You got Ari Boya back. You got Jay Sean Henry back. V-Lake back, who had a great freshman year for us. I mean, we got some really nice pieces back. But I think the guys sitting out, I think, can make an impact. Terry Nolan from George Washington. Terry Nolan, Jr. Kevin McAdoo, Jr. from Eastern Michigan. Both guards. They can come in, I think, and, and, and hopefully have an impact for us. We have Sean East, who just got a waiver transfer from Southern Indiana, uh, Kentucky, Louisville guy. He's here at point guard. So, I mean, and then Rink Mass, a big 6'9", skilled big that can really shoot it and pass it. And he was out with an ACL last year. So, 
I'm excited to blend these guys together and see where we can go. But we got a lot of talent. Now, who emerges? I mean, obviously, Jay Sean Henry and Ari Boy, I think two juniors that could have even bigger years than they had as sophomores. Yeah, just calling the Valley last year, I can speak to it. Last year, there was so much good talent in the under underclassmen, freshmen, sophomores. And so I'm expecting a big year, not only out of your Bradley team, but there's quite a few teams that are bringing back some really good young players. It should be a really good season uh, this season. So I always finish off with this coach. It's called the details of life. We try to pick through the details of what made people successful. You've had a good successful career as a player, as we pointed out in Marquette, as a coach, back-to-back NBC tournaments. So are there any daily habits or routines that you have that, or that you've done throughout your life that you feel have helped contribute to your success? You know, I like getting up in the morning and get going. I just get up, read, coffee. I mean, just basic things. But, I mean, in general, just every morning I wake up and I want to be me. I want to be real and authentic. And I don't – I think there's just too much nowadays where people live one life maybe on the social media and and another life in the real world. And – I just want to be real. I want my players to know, you know, Brian Wardle is the same guy every day, treats people good. He's genuine. I respect uh, all, everybody. And uh, I'm intense. I'm a competitor. There's no doubt there, there's a drive in me, but I show it every day and I'm real every day. I think that, I think if you can just be authentic and real every day, be you and understand, be vulnerable, understand your, we all have weaknesses. We all need improvements. If you can do that, you can coach any kid. You can coach a boy or girl, doesn't matter. You can coach because they know who they're getting every day. And ultimately, players want consistency, and they want to know who's walking in that gym with them every day. And I think that's what I really try to live by every day. Well, seems to be working for you. I love your style of coaching, Coach. And like I, I said, I, good luck to you. I'm looking forward to seeing the product you put out there on the court, and hopefully you guys stay healthy. All right? For everyone. Thanks, Marcus. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks a lot for coming on. Have a good yep. day. Bye. Thank you, Coach Warder, for coming on and spending some time with us. I sincerely appreciate it, and good luck to you this year as you continue on your quest as three-peat NVC tournament champions and trying to get back to that coveted NCAA tournament. That about wraps it up for us here, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, we are here every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. I know you get busy out there. That's why it's important that you subscribe. When you subscribe to the channel, you'll get a notification. It'll give you an alert, and then you go... Details of life is back on. And remember, we're going to keep bringing people on that's going to give you all the details of how they got to be successful. Because you know what? That's right. Greatness is in the details, guys. Thank you so much for coming in. Like, subscribe, and share. Looking forward to seeing you next week. Have a good one. Peace.